and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. And that's going to be where we're going to be mainly situated today. Um, but as we kind of go through this text, I want to keep in mind um, uh, a father-son relationship. Um, yeah, it's often had, have you ever had that question of what is your Desert Island album or your Desert Island film? You know that question of what if you, had, if you could take one album with you? One, I wouldn't say CD because most people don't have CDs anymore. But if you could take one album with you on a desert island, what would it be? And the idea is this, you'd pick your, your favourite album. You know, you're stranded on an island and the only thing you can listen to is this one album. What album would you pick? Um, or some people say what film you would pick or what book you would pick. Um, and I think to myself, what would I pick? What would be my, 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 my favourite album which I would take with me? Um, and I'm like, hmm, what would it be? And I had a think, and I think there's a load of different ones, but I think there's one which I would maybe favour um, over some other ones. Um, I started playing the drums at the age of 11, and a few years after learning to play, my dad introduced me to a drummer called Phil Collins. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Phil Collins um, from the very day my dad showed him playing drums. And he used to be the drummer for a band called Genesis, not a Christian band, but um, they've got a cool name. Um, but when the lead singer left, he then became the, the main singer. The drummer became the singer. Uh, and then afterwards, he then started to do his own solo stuff. And one of my favourite albums, my desert album, would be his album called But Seriously, released a year before my birth in 1989. Uh, and it is a really retrospective album. It's a really cool album. But one track, well, there's many tracks which stand out, but one track on it, the second to last track, is called Father to Son. Uh, and it's simply a song in which Phil Collins um, is essentially um, addressing his son. Uh, and he is trying to give him guidance and counsel as he faces the many trials in life. Um, and I just want you to think, what? I want you to think, think as we go through this text of a father sitting down with his son. That's why I've got two stools here. A little bit of illustration. Imagine a father and a son sitting down together. And imagine what if you were a dad and you had the opportunity to sit down with your son, what would you say? What would you say to him after living how many years and he was your son and he's maybe on the verge of becoming a man? What would you, what would you say to him? And, and as a son... What would, you, what would you want to hear from your father? What would you expect to hear from your father? And as we go through this text, I want to keep in mind this. We see that the writer is addressing his son. Uh, he's seeking to give wisdom, to give counsel and guidance to his son. Um, but as we go through this text, I also want you to bear in mind not just that relationship of a father and a son, but of God the Father and us as his children, as us as his sons. And as we see here, it's not just a father sitting his son down, but ultimately God desires to sit us down, to talk with us and to counsel us, to guide us. And his question is, will we listen, will we heed? And as we go through this text, I want you to bear that in mind. And as a side note, we know as Christians, we, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we get brought into this family. <laughs> a new family, a crazy family. <laughs> and we can see it here, we can see it. People from various different cultures and ages 
brought together for one common thing, and that is they've accepted this Jesus. They've met this Jesus. And he's brought us into this new family. As a side note, as we see how God often pulls us aside to speak to us, to speak into our lives, are there people for which he has placed us in a relationship with that we can speak into their lives? I look back at my own life and I think that there are certain, there are certain men, certain, in essence, spiritual, spiritual father figures, just like my, including my own dad, who at moments have took me to one side and spoken into my life. And the question is, not only are there people in our lives to do that for us, but are we seeking to be that for other people as well? Um, But before we start to read through this text, we'll jump into it in a second. Let's just quickly pray, and then we'll start to unpack it a bit. So, Father, I just thank you for, uh, yeah, just for this time to go for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are a loving and caring Father and you desire to speak to us. You desire to speak into our lives. And Father, my prayer is that we would, that we would hear, that we would listen. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would guide me through this text. Holy Spirit, that you would just enable me to say that which you desire to say, to uh, expound upon that which you desire for me to expound upon. Lord, may you guide me and may you speak through me to your people. May we listen and may it change our lives forever. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. So just uh, before we start to go through this text, it's important to note that the main contributor of this book, Proverbs, is, is Solomon, King Solomon, um, the son of David. So keep that in mind as we go through it. And we'll see through many parts during this book, we'll see uh, him addressing his son, going, my son, and then he'll follow up by saying something. Um, But uh, today we're just going to focus on a very small section, just on 12 verses. So if you'd read with me from Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 1, and he says this, My son, do not forget my law. But let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favour and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honour the Lord with your possessions and with the firstfruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. And we'll just end there. And this is kind of the passage we'll focus on for today. And we could go on. 
And this whole book is a beautiful book full of wisdom, full of instruction. And here we're just going to focus on this brief bit as, as Solomon addresses his son. And he begins by saying, Son, don't forget, <laughs> don't forget my word, don't forget my law, don't forget my commands. Now as, as we read this, it's important to note, as Solomon writes this, he's not just writing to his son. But we know that he's actually he's writing scripture. We know that through the Holy Spirit, God is writing to us through Solomon. We see that it's not just addressed to his son, but it's addressed to us as his sons. As kind of Paul says to Timothy, his own spiritual son. And we'll kind of be flicking a couple of different places, so feel free just to listen if you like, or write down the verses to, to check up on later. But as we kind of see in Second Timothy, in chapter two, sorry, chapter three of Second Timothy, and verse fourteen to seventeen, and here Paul speaking to Timothy, and he calls him a bit like a spiritual son, shares the importance of God's word. And he says this in chapter 3 of verse 14, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here we see saying all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is literally breathed out by God for us. And here we see, here Solomon is saying, look, don't forget my Lord, don't let, the, don't let your heart but let your heart keep my commands. We see, he say, look, this is important, these commands I give you, these instructions I give you, these laws I give you. And we ultimately know that this is God, this is God's law. These are God's commands. And I'd imagine even Solomon would have had many of these passed on to him through David. Can you imagine that? David meeting with Solomon and instructing him, and now we see Solomon now seeking to instruct his own son. But it's so important that we do not forget God's word. And not that we just don't forget it. But he says this, it's not just a case of remembering God's word. It's like, look, don't forget this law, but he also says, let your heart keep my commands. Here we see, he's like, look, don't forget God's word, but keep it in your heart. Treasure it in your heart. Let it abide in your heart, in your very being, in your very soul. Let it be there. Keep it there and then he carries on he doesn't just stop there he says number two for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you here Solomon says to his son he says look God's commands lead to life he says look these commands this word it leads to life. It brings life. And I love how he says this. He's like, look, keep this word, keep this command, for it will lead to life. And I love one of the things in which 
Jesus says himself about his words. And it's a beautiful verse in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8 and verse 31, he says this, And Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Here Solomon is instructing us on, he's like, look, these commands will lead to life. Keep them in your heart, treasure them in your heart. And then he continues on. And he says this, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favour and high esteem in the sight of God. And man, he continues on, he says, let not mercy and let not truth forsake you. And once again, kind of just as we read in John, how God's word leads us to truth and how that truth sets us free. As we see in, 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 in the Psalms, in David, not only is God's word truth, but it leads to truth. As he says, As David, the psalmist, says in Psalm 119 and verse 60. Let me quickly find it. Sorry. Psalm 119, 160. See, when you're writing notes, it's really important to write the right numbers or it makes you lose your pace. So, it's a side note, side bit of wisdom for you. And he says this, the psalmist, this is David, this is Solomon's dad. He says this, the entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. When we see Solomon, he says, look, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Don't let it leave, don't let it go. It's like, look, as we read through God's word, we see this. We see God's word is not only truth, but God's word leads to truth. And once again, it's like, look, don't forget the law, but treasure the commandments in your heart, for it leads to life. And let not mercy and truth forsake you. Don't let these things go. Don't let them loose, but actually keep hold of them. Because as we see with Jesus, as he says, if you abide in his word, if you remain in his word, if you stay in his word, you are his disciples. You will know the truth. And that truth will set you free. And he carries on, and so find favour and high esteem in the sight of God and man. We see that when we, when we remember his law, when we keep his commands in our hearts, when we bind truth and mercy around our neck, it's this idea that we're keeping these things, we're meditating on these things, we are considering these things, we are keeping these things close to us. And it says we find favour and high esteem In the sight of God and man, we see God looks down and not only is he pleased, but (laughs) I think the main reason he's pleased is because as we do these things, as we keep in treasure his commandments, we get to see more of him. As we abide and remain in his word, we experience more of Jesus. And Jesus desires for us to know him. And that brings him delight. But we also see that in the sight of God and man, we actually see that as we begin to walk with Jesus, as we begin to walk and step in his law and keep these commands and, 
and keep this truth in our very hearts. We, believe, we see that people look in from the outside and see that there's something different. That there is something different about the way that we, in which we are walking. And then he goes on. And this is kind of the, the main point I really want to focus on. It's been on my heart recently. And he says this. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord. Who or what will we put our trust in? There will be someone or something for which we put our trust upon, we lean upon. Who or what will it be? As we see through Scripture, the Bible makes it clear. We have really two choices. We will either trust in God or we will trust in something else. We will either trust in the Creator or we will trust in creation. We will trust in that which is eternal or that which is temporary. And here Solomon is instructing, he's like, look, he's like, son, trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. And then, and then he goes on to say how we should do this. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, with everything that you've got, your very soul, your very being, your very core. Lean that upon, put your trust upon, put your faith upon the Lord. And what does this begin to look like? I think we see that in the next part of this verse. It says, and lean not on your own understanding. You see, trusting in, and he seems to bring out these as polar opposites, to trust in the Lord with all our heart. (laughs) If we lean on our own understanding, (laughs) we will not fully trust in him. And one simple thing we get from this verse is this. That, to trust in the Lord, there are going to be times he calls us to trust in him when we don't understand it all. <laughs> He's like this, look. He says to his son, son, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't, do not lead, lean on your own understanding. There are going to be times where God calls us into places for which we don't understand why or how. But it's in those moments we get to demonstrate that trust. And let's be honest. If we only did things that, if we only, if we only <laughs> relied on our understanding, I mean, how, how, how far will that lead us? We know that our understanding is limited, right? I mean, come on, how many times have we got things wrong? We can't say that our, our understanding is, is perfect, is always correct. And here Solomon, he makes it clear, he's like, look, don't trust in yourself, but trust in the Lord. Your understanding will not always be on point, but God's understanding will be. Your vision will not always be on point, but God's vision will always be. And we see that. We see that as a father and a son relationship. You know, a a dad, as he addresses his young child, the young child cannot see everything. A young child's vision is limited, right? The child cannot perceive potential dangers, cannot... His vision, a child's vision, is limited. 
And often we see that a father's vision goes beyond, it goes greater. A child can often only see the immediate consequences, yet a father will look further down and see the lasting effects of a consequence. As we'll kind of get on to the end of it, we see that a father will discipline. And often the child's vision is, is immediate. The child's vision is this hurts, but the, child, but the father's vision is greater. And it's like, I know the discipline hurts, but it will lead to something greater because I can see further down the line. And I think how many times my dad has made decisions for me and at the time I was like, what, what? I did not understand. It's amazing as you look back, you're like, okay, I get it now. His vision was greater. And here we see that the Lord's vision is greater than our own trust in him. And then it goes on from this. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge Jesus in all your ways. Invite him into everything that you do, into every part of your life. And I'll kind of touch on that in a second as well. He says, look, acknowledge him. Acknowledge Jesus. Acknowledge God. Bring him into the situation, into the circumstance. And there's a result. There is a, like a cause and reaction when we do this. We have this last bit. And he shall direct your paths. Or some translations will say, shall make smooth or make straight your paths. See, God makes this promise. If we trust in him, not relying on our own understanding, but if we trust in him with our whole heart, and we, if we acknowledge him in everything that we do, we invite him into every situation, every scenario, he says this, he will direct our paths. He will guide us which means he'll guide us even when (laughs) we don't understand or perhaps see where he's taking us or where we're going but we trust him knowing that he is in control and then the writer continues he says this do not be wise in your own eyes but fear the Lord and depart from evil once again he's He's bringing up this idea, look, don't be wise in your own opinion, <laughs> but rely on the wisdom and the understanding of God. Don't rely on how you see things, but rely on how God sees things. Because let's be honest, our vision can easily be tainted. It can easily be skewered, it can easily be wrong, but his vision is perfect. And he goes on, he says this, Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Be in awe of the Lord, be in reverence of him and run from evil. Run from evil and run to God. And as a result of this, it will be health for your flesh and strength to your bones. And once again, it's like, look, be in awe of God, leave evil, depart what is evil because it leads to life because it leads to the health of your flesh and the strength of your bones. And it reminds me of a a verse, of what Jesus says. In John chapter 10.10, it's kind of a cool cool, cool verse to remember, 10.10. And Jesus reminds us that he came to give us life. And in John 10.10 he says this, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come 
that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. As we read through Scripture, we see sin enters the world. Sin brings death. Sin brings destruction. But then Jesus enters the world to give us life, to give us life abundant. And we know that this life, it does not mean a pain-free life. (laughs) Jesus makes that plainly clear. As we read through the entirety of Scripture, this abundant life isn't a pain-free life but it is a life which has joy in the midst of sorrow because there is Jesus in the midst of sorrow. We know that our suffering has a new, it has meaning, it now has purpose. God's going to use it for good. We may not see that good, but he's got a purpose for it. He is going to use it. We see that Jesus offers life. So often the things that corrupt, the, the things in the world, the sinful things that are, at the moment seem so enticing and yet, as the author says, they lead to destruction. And he says, look, don't just follow your own understanding, but trust God. Trust that his commands will lead to life. That they will lead to your joy. That they will lead to meaning. Trust God. And lean not on your own understanding. And he continues in verse 9. He says this, Honour the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vat and your vats rather, will overflow with new wine. He says, look, son, honour the Lord with everything you have. Don't let anything be off limits from God. And now, you know, I think we need to be, be careful as well. We know, we, as we read through Scripture, we know that God is not just about... <laughs> His blessings are far greater than just material blessings. He calls us not just to store up our treasure on earth, but to store up our treasure in heaven. And we see, and I don't think, and as we read through this, I don't think it's sort of... Solomon isn't saying, you know what... Give a bit of give a bit of give your first fruits to God, and He's going to give you a Bentley, and He's going to give you this, He's going to give you that. <laughs> and the reason I say this is only because a few verses later, in verse 13, this is what Solomon says. He says, "Happy is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her." Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand, which is an honour. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and are happy. And happy are all who retain her. Here, even, even Solomon says that there's more than just material blessings. <laughs> there's something deeper, there's something greater. Jesus doesn't doesn't just desire for us to be rich, but he desires us to be rich spiritually. He has greater gifts than just a nice car and a nice house, although he may bless those things with us. But when he says here, look, when he says, honour me of your possessions and give your first fruits, I think the reason that God asks us for that is so that it's a way that we would demonstrate our trust in him. Because ultimately, God doesn't need our possessions. He doesn't need our, he doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our things. What he wants is our heart. He wants our heart behind those things. 
And if we're not willing to allow God to touch those areas of our lives, does he have our whole heart? Does he have everything that I have? Or is he just like, yeah, you can have all of this, but you, my possessions, nah, that's cool, that's my stuff. My, my first fruits, that's my stuff. My labor, that's my stuff. No, God wants all of us. Because he desires to use it <laughs> for a greater purpose. He gives us possessions. And as us, we can use it and they give us joy. And, and that is one thing he's given us for. But he also desires for us to use it for eternal value, for eternal impact. And we're missing out. <laughs> if we're just trying to hoard it, if we're just trying to store it, we're missing out on what it can be used for. And it's amazing the places in which God can take us. I remember, and it's kind of a silly example, but I remember when I, um, when I was at uni, I went to get uh, a cajon. Um, you've seen me play it a couple of times. It's this box, a uh, percussive box. And it was, it was quite a lot of money. It was like £200, and, um, but it was, it was a nice sounding one. The other ones didn't sound as nice. And at that time, I was a student, so I didn't really have any money. Um, but I managed to get it on some sort of interest-free financing. And I remember saying at the time, Lord, this is a lot of money. <laughs> um, I don't want to waste this money. And I just said to him, Lord, use this. I mean, it sounds really silly. It's a box. <laughs> a percussive box. You know, I mean, you know, when I took it home, my dad was like, what is, what is that? That's just a box, man. I could, have, I could have made you one for like, you just got ripped off. But honestly, there's something more to the box. But this percussive box, although it is a silly illustration, I said to him, I was like, Lord, it's a lot of money. Use it. Like, I don't want to put this to waste. Like, it's yours. It's your possession. And it's amazing. I've had that box for how many years now? I can't even remember now. Like five years. And it's amazing how he has actually used it. How I've seen him, uh, <laughs> I've, I've been able to use it for, uh, for worship events, for, for, for dance events, to bless different people, um, even using it for baptisms. Uh, I mean, that box has been with me tons of places it has been used and used but not just used for my enjoyment but used to bless people and i think that's the greater gift that i got from that being able to use it every week on a thursday morning i mean when i originally bought it if, if god has said in a few years time you're going to be using this to play worship music at a rehab house to guys who are recovering from drug and alcohol addiction singing praises to jesus i'd be like yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> You'll be kidding me. I'm going to be doing that. And every week I get to use this thing, this thing in which I said, Lord, use it to bless people. And it is blessing people. I get to see it every week. What about the rest of my stuff? I know it's a simple idea and it's a simple thing, but how could God use, if God can use even a box to bless people, <laughs> imagine what else he could do with our stuff. So here he says, look, Give everything you've got to him. Everything. Don't leave anything off limits. Let him. And ask him, Lord, how do you want to use this? And we see how Paul addresses that in his letters. He's like, look, you know, ask God how much you should give. Let him guide you. Let him lead you. Ask him, say, Lord, how much, you, how much time do you want me to give in this area? How much money do you want me to give in this area? How much... Of just <laughs> of my uh, of the things you've blessed me with, how much you want to give them? 
how do you want me to use this so that it can be used not just for temporary but for eternal value? And then he goes on from there and we'll kind of begin to bring it to a close here. And he says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. I love how the author goes from trusting in God, not leaning on your own understanding. And he ends, well, he doesn't end because he continues, but where we'll begin to end today, he says this, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. There'll be moments when, and and that word chastening, that's a very nice traditional English word. um, (laughs) But the idea of chastening is, 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 it's a reproof, it's a warning, it's a, it's discipline, it's correction, it's a rebuke. And we see here that he says, look, my son, There are two things he calls us not to do. Don't despise the correction of the Lord, nor detest it. And here he says here, he's like, look, and I think this can come in a number of different ways, that the Lord will challenge us, the Lord will convict us, the Lord will will correct us. And he says, don't detest it. Because... (laughs) Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. And once again, he brings us to this idea that God is a father who loves us. And as a father, there will be times where he corrects us. And we'll see it. There will be times, and it comes in a number of different ways. There will be times where he warns us before we sin. (laughs) And we know that there are times where God pleads with us before. And you know, there are moments where we can see it. There are moments where, where we can see that we're beginning to stray. And God will come in, he's like, no, don't go down that path, I know where that leads. And pleads with us, like, no, don't go, warns us, he, he seeks to correct us, to rebuke us. We see that sometimes before we begin to sin. We see that, that he rebukes us while we're sinning as well. We see there are moments where we begin to fall, where we begin to fall back into sin. And as a loving father, he comes and says, come back home. He rebukes us, he says, this is wrong, this is going to lead to your destruction, come back home. And there are some times where he corrects us after we've sinned as well. For the purpose, for many a purpose. <laughs> but the ultimate purpose of this is because he loves us. Because a true loving father disciplines his son. <laughs> And that God's discipline, God's correction, it's not a sign that he doesn't love us, but actually it is a sign that he does love us. I think even with David, and I think when he, he fell, and, well, well, briefly, I'll briefly turn to it. In 2 Samuel, just as an example of how God, God corrects us when we sin, and we see here, we see how David, uh, and if you get time, have a read for it. I read for it a couple of weeks ago and it's heartbreaking to see this man of God and to fall in such a way. We see, if you, if you read the account, we see how when his army is at war, he sees and takes another man's wife. 
sleeps with her and then when she becomes pregnant, <laughs> basically arranges for this man to, <laughs> to be put at the front lines of war so that he would die. And then uh, the prophet Nathan, he, he confronts him. He comes to him and he challenges him. And we see David's heartbroken confession. And we see just at the end of 12 and 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great, given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blasphemy, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. And Nathan departed his house. We see here the devastating effects of sin. And we see how the Lord has cast his sin away and yet there are consequences for that sin. We see that there is a rebuke, there is a discipline, there is correction. But there is a purpose and that is because ultimately he loves David. And sometimes, although we have been forgiven of our sin, (laughs) so forgiven, there will be moments where he will challenge us, he will rebuke us after it. For a number of different reasons. I think sometimes it may be so that we would not fall back into that again. (laughs) I remember when there have been moments where I've confessed to my own father how I have fallen when I was a kid. And how he would rebuke me. (laughs) How he would accept my confession, but also because he loved me, said, okay, I know you did wrong. And you must face the consequences. There is discipline. And sometimes I think that's there just so that we don't do it again. (laughs) Ain't that true? We fall in a certain way. We face the consequences. So that (laughs) we don't do it again. (laughs) And Paul quotes from this verse as well in Hebrews. And I'll briefly read from there as well. In Hebrews 12 verse 3 he says this, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And then he says this, which is quoting from what we've just read. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If If you endure chastening, correction or rebuke God deals with you as with sons for what son is there whom the father does not chasten but if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers then you are illegitimate and not sons furthermore we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live I love that. And live. God's desire is that we would live. His, his correction is desire that we would live, that we would experience the life to its fullest. And it goes on in verse 10. For they indeed, 
for they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Here we see that God's discipline, God's correction of us. When we fall, while we're falling, and sometimes before we fall, it's for one purpose, that it would lead to life because he loves us. And as he says, that it would, although it is painful, that it would yield peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Here he says to his son, he's like, look, treasure God's words, treasure God's commands. Trust the Lord with everything you have. And know this, that when the the Lord does discipline, (laughs) he disciplines those he loves. And discipline is a sign that he is a son. And not only that we are his children, his sons, but that he delights in us. Listen to this, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. The Lord corrects those whom he loves, those whom he delights in. As we kind of bring this to a close, and we could go on so much more into, <laughs> into this proverb, these proverbs, and I would encourage you to, to read them when you get the chance. There's so much in them. But I love those two verses, five and six, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Because there will be moments when we're in the middle of something where we don't see the end. Where we don't see how, we don't see how good could come of it. <laughs> and I think in other places in scripture, I see the disciples had that same feeling. That same feeling of, I can't see how this is going to end. Think about it. These disciples had walked and lived with Jesus for three years. And then they see him arrested. They desert this Jesus. They leave him. And Jesus goes to a cross, is tortured, nailed to a cross and slowly dies an agonizing death alone with his disciples far away. (laughs) And imagine how those disciples felt in those, not just as Jesus was being arrested and crucified, but in, in the days afterwards they would have had that same feeling of, I can't see how this is going to end. I can't see how any good is going to come from this situation. Their understanding was pointing to there is no hope. And yet, as we read through Scripture, three days later, this same Jesus rose again. And these disciples, their sorrow turned to joy. That the most worst and most, <laughs> were the, when everything seemed down, when the chips seemed down, when everything seemed like it was going wrong and beaten, God was at work bringing about the most important event in history, which is this, that he died on a cross for our sins.
that if we would simply put our faith and trust in him, that judgment which we deserve (laughs) gets laid on him. And not only that, we then have peace with him. And it is in this relationship that we see the ultimate father-son relationship. We see God the Father (laughs) willing to let Jesus Christ, his son, go to the cross for you and for me. He willingly endured that so that we could be reunited with him. So that we could come back into relationship with him. Our sin which separated us, he took upon himself that punishment which we deserved so that if we simply put our faith in him, we will not only just be saved from eternal judgment, (laughs) but we will begin to have that relationship which we were made for. A relationship with our creator, God. So, let's pray together, guys, to bring this to a close. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity just to briefly look at um, at this relationship between a father and a son and to see how the ultimate relationship <laughs> that there is, this, this is just a shadow. This father-son, this Solomon and his son is just a shadow of your relationship with your son and ultimately the relationship that you desire to have with us. So Father, I pray, Lord, as is the main point of that text, which is this, that we would trust in you with everything that we have. Lord, I confess there are moments where I am relying on my own understanding. There are moments where I can't see the end. I can't see how this is going to work out for good. And that is simply because my vision is limited, but your vision is perfect and eternal. And you promise this, that for those who have put our faith in you, those who put their trust and faith in you as Lord and Saviour, that you promise to use all things for our good. Lord, in the moments where we can't see, help us not to lean or trust in our own understanding, but rather to trust in you. To trust that you love us through difficult times, through times when we fall, through times when you discipline us, through times when we're walking and we're running with you. Lord, help us to trust that you truly are in control, that you love us, and that when we abide and remain in you, it leads to life, it leads to freedom. So Father, as we leave here, may you continue to speak to us in our conversations through your word. In your name, Jesus. Amen.